Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That when all is said and done and the last chapter is written on your life and on my life, only one thing remains, only one thing matters, and his name is Jesus. Good morning, and welcome to Peace to You from Peace Church in Arvada, Colorado. Today, we have the opportunity to listen to Pastor Don Henschey. He's going to talk to us about the outrageous cross. Now, here's Pastor Henschey. It is Labor Day weekend. I did some research. Labor Day, I think, goes back to 1850-something. It comes out of the organized labor movement, and it's a day to honor those who work with their hands, who are laborers, of course, uh, and who take the stuff of creation and make beautiful, beautiful, sustaining things for it. Labor Day also, as we know, is the uh, end of summer, sad, uh, and the beginning of autumn, time of, clo- of uh, chilling, and uh, for our children, it means going back to school. But most important, my wife tells me, Labor Day is the time beyond which you cannot wear white pants. Is that right? Yeah. Or at least in Minnesota, I think that's the, that's the thing. So welcome to Labor Day, and consider in your mind what it means to labor, to have your vocation under the cross. Now, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He turns to them and he says, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And you hear that and the first thing that comes to your mind is, that is outrageous. That's outrageous. Nobody in their right mind is gonna take this man seriously. You can almost see the crowds of people who are following him looking at one another and shaking their heads and saying, what is this, hate? Back in those days, if you wanted a rabbi, you went out and you selected the rabbi yourself, but Jesus doesn't work that way. Jesus selects his disciples. He's not up to to pleasing the crowds, you know, uh, winning friends and influencing people. In fact, what Jesus is calling his disciples to is downright challenging. It's dangerous. It is outrageous. Outrageous. Luke tells us that large crowds were traveling with Jesus. He turns to them and says, you got to hate if you want to be my disciple. He says, it's going to cost you plenty, but it's going to be well worth it. First, though, you've got to count the cost. Count the cost. Like the old spiritual sings, you know, if you can't bear the cross, you can't wear the crown. Hmm. Consider the cross. The cross is really a very 
simple sort of a figure. It's two sticks put together on a perpendicular. That's your basic cross. It comes in many and various styles. It comes as a crucifix, a crucifix. This hangs in our home. Or it comes oftentimes hanging around the pastor's neck on a Sunday. This is a particularly gruesome cross. It's for Lent. You don't want to look at this too long. It turns you off. When you travel in Ireland, you see this on street corners. You see it at country roads. You see it in front of homes. It's the Celtic cross. It kind of brings everything together. Or again, in Ireland, you go into an Irish home and you see the cross of St. Bridget hanging on a wall. This is supposed to drive demons away. We keep one of these in our house, and so far we've, we've not seen any demons, so I, I guess it works. Here is the most outrageous cross of all. If you want to look at this afterwards, I'll show it to you. This is the Denver Broncos cross. It is orange and blue, and right in the middle where Jesus should be hanging is a little horse. I think it's absolutely outrageous for a whole different reason. I'm going to ask how many of you here today are wearing a cross on your lapel, maybe, on your sweater, around your neck. Yeah, it's just the sort of thing that we do. It's kind of common. You put it on. But you know the cross is not common at all. It's a very complex symbol, and it has immense significance for Christ's people. Do you know that the cross is not a uniquely Christian symbol? Uh, in our home, in my file drawer, safely locked up, uh, are two little crosses. They're about this big. They're made from a glass-like substance called fiance, fiance in French. Turquoise green, they're blue. I picked them up at a market in Egypt. I took them to the Denver Art Museum, and somebody looked at them and assessed that they were from the Egyptian dynasty of Ramses II. That's 1,250 years before Jesus. Can you imagine that? He said that women wore them around their neck in praise of the sun god, Ra. Beautiful crosses over 1,000 years before Jesus. Well, where the cross took up deep Christian significance, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, is that it was the instrument of Jesus' death. If Jesus were to be executed in our society today, maybe we'd be wearing little hangman's nooses around our neck or, or little electric chairs or IV drips. Isn't that a gruesome thought? But the Roman government of Jesus' day, believing, as many in our society do, that if you, if you allow people to watch a gruesome execution, you might keep them from committing the similar crimes. And so the Roman government killed their criminals by strangling them to death on a cross. That's how Jesus died. We Americans did not invent capital punishment. We only semi-privatized it. So the cross emerges as a symbol of the Christian faith alongside of the Star of David or the Islamic crescent moon, you know. But it has such significance to us as a symbol not just of Jesus' death, but of his suffering. And he sees it as a necessity. His followers must take it on if they're going to follow him. Sharing in his burden, we as the church of Jesus Christ are in the process and in the, the, the business of cross-bearing. As once Jesus lifted over himself the pains and the sufferings of others, so we, his church, 
carry that same cross over our backs. We, we raise the sins and the griefs and the burdens of others as we take it before Jesus in this journey of life. Phew! What a way to begin a sermon. Hmm. Way too heavy, preacher. We uh, pastors, when we go to seminary and learn how to preach, are taught that you kind of ease your way into a sermon. You know, you don't clobber them over the head in the first five minutes. And yet, you can't avoid it with this gospel reading for today. I didn't write this gospel. Luke did. And all indications are is that he heard of Jesus from the people who hung around Jesus. And so, it moves us into some heavy discipleship talk. Whoever comes to me and does not hate, that's the word in the Greek text, I looked it up, hate father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even life itself, you cannot be my disciple. Now, there's a membership requirement for you, isn't it? When somebody asks you the next time, what does it take to join Peace Lutheran Church? You can say, well, we have a membership classes. I think there's one that's going to be starting fairly soon. And we'll learn about the Christian faith, a Lutheran perspective, and we'll learn about the programs and, and the opportunities to serve here at Peace Lutheran Church. Oh, and by the way, you got to hate your family, and you got to take up a cross and all the burdens of the world and follow Jesus. I wonder how many new members you'd get in a year if you laid that before them. But Jesus does get our attention, doesn't he? So how do you make sense out of this all, this outrageous claim that we take up his cross and follow him? Well, one scholar has said that Jesus is engaging in holy hyperbole. Hyperbole is when you keep raising the ante, when you, when you say just a little bit over what you'd expect to hear. He lets us know that our love for him and for his kingdom and the gospel must be so intensive, so all-pervasive, that all other relationships pale in comparison. That when all is said and done and the last chapter is written on your life and on my life, only one thing remains, only one thing matters, and his name is Jesus. And if we'd like to remain faithful to him, it's necessary to follow a 100% cross on our back with no guarantees of the future. It's that total and radical acclaim that Jesus makes on us. Luke tells us that uh, he opens the section by saying, large crowds were following Jesus. I wonder how large the crowds were after he got through with this little bombshell. My guess is some attrition had already started, don't you think? See, for most of us, this business of following Jesus fits into that category of our life that we label religion, the spiritual, we segment life, don't we? We build our dividing walls. On one side here, there's the faith thing, the religion thing, there's the sacred thing, and on the other side, there's what people call real life. I hate it when they say that. That's the business thing, and the social thing, and the family thing, and the health thing, and the education thing. You get the idea. Religion is 8 to 12 on a Sunday morning. That's what we're doing here. And business time is 9 to 5 on Monday, and then there's family time and rec time and all that other kind of stuff during the week. And we know we get in trouble when you go overboard on anything. you got to keep a balance. That's what we say. But there's a problem. 
A.W. Tozier was one of the most eloquent writers and preachers of the first part of the 20th century. A.W. Tozier was a self-taught theologian, Bible scholar. He was a parish pastor, and he was a, a writer of fine books on the spiritual life of the Christian. If you want to dig deeply, look up something by Tozier. One of his best-known books is The Pursuit of God. And in his final chapter, Tozier addresses this phenomenon of the divided life. He writes, quote, one of the greatest hindrances to internal peace which the Christian encounters is the common habit of dividing our lives into two areas, the sacred and the secular. As these areas are conceived to exist apart from each other and to be morally and spiritually incompatible, and as we always are compelled by the necessities of living to be crossing back and forth from one to the other, our inner lives tend to break up so that we live a divided instead of a unified life." Close quote. See, Jesus doesn't see life as existing in two self-contained worlds. Rather, he wants to be Lord over your whole life. And his outrageous claim is that if you follow him bearing his cross, that's what he calls it, you will find peace in this unified life in his footsteps. His total claim over you will mean that all other relationships, the family and the spouse and the friends and the work, will then be taken up under the cross and will become transformed by his love. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jesus claims that only one thing matters, and that is our relationship to God through him. So, as it says in the old song, uh, you used to sing it in vacation Bible school, if you would my disciple be, take up your cross and follow me. Which means we've got to let go of acting like all of those other people and all of those relationships in life have ultimate importance. They're important, but not ultimate. And if we want to follow him, it's with a cross over our backs and everything else subsumed underneath it. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called the cost of discipleship. Now notice that Jesus doesn't just, you know, glibly throw out these words and then walk away. He's preparing for Jerusalem when he's saying these words. He's getting ready to do precisely what he's calling on us. He will soon take up that cross, and he will stagger bruised and bloody through the crowded streets of Jerusalem to be affixed to that cross for you and for me. And by that, paying that price for our alienation, our separation, he'll bring us back into the loving embrace of God forever. I mean, think about it. Ultimately, we will lose father and mother and siblings and spouse and family and even life itself. 
But because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we'll never lose eternal life. And all because of that cross, all because of that outrageous cross. This is what breaks down the dividing walls that we build between sacred and secular, kingdom of God, kingdom of the world. Jesus wants to be Lord over our life, over all of our times. When Jesus bids us to take up his cross, he's not making a demand on us that we can't keep, you understand. He's, he's not even demanding at all. He is gifting us with the cross, with his love, a love so unmistakable on what you see before you. In Matthew's gospel, the 11th chapter, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and I'm lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke that Jesus offers us is the yoke of his cross, that by which we are freed of our sin and our guilt and all of the unnecessary burdens that we put on ourselves. Take my yoke. And our life changes, I can think of three ways. Let me offer you uh, three dimensions of life, new life under the cross. First, under the cross, we see ourselves differently. We see ourselves differently. No longer do we find ourselves as judged, as hopeless sinners, worthless failures, as losers. Instead, the cross reminds us that we have been set free from the sins of our past, our failures, our guilt. All that we were in the past has been placed on Jesus, and we can begin each new day renewed and ready to meet him to take up his cross. Take up the cross, follow and be free. I'm reminded of of what Martin Luther said. uh, uh, Remember when when you wake up in the morning, he says you splash water on your face and make the sign of the Holy Cross and remember your baptism. But begin the day under the cross. We are transformed. Secondly, see life with hope. Hope. I know, I know, hope is in short supply these days, it is. And you don't need a newspaper to tell you that. August 27th, Greeley, Colorado, close to where we live. A lovely young woman, 22 years old, was brutally attacked in her workplace, was sexually assaulted, and then killed in a gruesome way. And of course, what happens after that, when you see the kind of makeshift memorials, memorials, you know, the flowers and the teddy bears, and you shake your head and you mutter, Oh, what's this world coming to? And then you break for commercial. I recently read a study that says uh, reactions to, uh, of the public to uh, mass shootings, mass shootings. Uh, the results say that it's about four days or so before all of our uh, thoughts and prayers and shock and awe are forgotten. We forget about it, and we go back to waiting for the next mass shooting. Well, you shrug your shoulder and you say, you know, that's just the way the world is, huh? But not for God's people. We are people of hope, and that hope goes beyond mere optimism to move us to change, to action. We think of the vision of Isaiah, of a day when there will be peace and no more bloodshed and the lion will lie down with the lamb, and then we continue to work to establish conditions under which that world will exist. Under the cross, we work and we wait in hope. And then thirdly, under the cross, we are free to live for others. 
You know, when you read through the Gospels, you get a picture of Jesus as, as one who was consistent and unrelenting in his service to others. He was the, the consummate servant. The Samaritan outsider was welcome in. The, the, the leper was touched and healed. The lame walk, the deaf heard, an adulteress was restored, saved from the stoning pit. And the list goes on and on until finally, at the end of each gospel, you see him hanging on his throne of wood on Golgotha, forgiving the very ones who had put him there in the first place. It takes your breath away, doesn't it? So that when he invites us to take up that same cross and follow, he invites us to join the parade of his followers over the years and follow him, serving as he did. It's not that we're going to force ourselves to do some good deeds, you know, like latter-day Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts kind of thing, but it's rather seeing all that we do as an act of worship to God in the service of others. Again, A.W. Tozier. Tozier is commenting on, uh, on the very common expression from lay people in the church. They say, well, I couldn't do that. I'm not a pastor, you know. I'm not a minister. Tozier comments, the layman need never think of his humbler task as being inferior to those of the minister. Let every man, and we'd add woman, abide in the calling wherein they are called, and their work will be as sacred as the work of the ministry. It's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular, Tozier says. It's why they do it. The motive is everything." End quote. Well, our motive is the cross, that upon which Jesus suffered and died, and which he now gives to us, and with it the power of our salvation and the means of our service. Outrageous. Of course it's outrageous, but it's the only way to live forever. Amen. Well, good morning, Pastor Tim. Good morning. And I did say Pastor Tim. We have Pastor Tim sitting in with us here in the booth, and we want to talk a little bit about the, the sermon that you just heard. And um, I have some questions for Pastor Tim, and I'm sure that you in the listening audience probably have some questions too, but it all comes back to that um, you must uh, hate your mother, father, brother, sister, and everything else. And the whole idea of what Jesus was saying was, um, I want all of you. I want 100% of you, and I want you in me and me in you. And, and, and am I on the right track here? Yes, I believe so. Um, Pastor Hinchy called his sermon uh, The Outrageous Cross. And this is a, a passage where there's some pretty outrageous statements being made. Uh, first of all, he says, you know, to be a part of the kingdom of God, you need to hate your mother, your father, your spouse, your children. and it was almost like Jesus was overstating things mm -hmm. to, to drive home the point that he desires to be first in our life. And, and it isn't so much that it is certainly not that he is the God who is um, wanting to be um, have that ego trip or something like that. Mm, sure. What he's saying is what's best for you is to live by my design. And that is a perfect relationship with me, your creator. And then that will bleed over and run over into uh, that 
good, positive, loving relationship that you have with other your fellow men, with your family, with others, uh, but also with creation in general. Very good. So getting back to the to the cross itself, you know, he mentioned that it dates back 1250 B.C. when they, you first see symbols of the cross. And um, but he said that the it's a symbol of Jesus's death, uh, more importantly, his suffering. Um, but we want to take that one step further. It's not. Yes, it is a symbol of that. And it reminds us of what he did for us and his love for us. Right. But, the, the shape of the cross <laughs> has been around for a lot a long time, right? Uh, but the cross became a, a symbol uh, for Christianity because it reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, uh, the sacrifice where he put us first and the will of his Father first mm-hmm. over his own um, human uh, desires, you know, mm-hmm. and we know that he prayed that if it would be possible that this could be accomplished in another way, whether the Lord God would, his Father would take away that um, a cup of suffering from him, right. uh, but we know that that was the Father's will. And uh, so the, now we look at the cross and it reminds us of his love and what he accomplished for us on that cross where he was our atonement. Our, he took our place on that cross. He died instead of us and what mm-hmm. we deserved through our sin. Um, and then, of course, it became even more outrageous when he rose from the dead Yes, and he emptied the grave. <laughs> And through that, we have the gift of eternal life. Exactly. So what what we're saying, too, is that um, to kind of wrap this up is that um, it's the when we talk about it, it's the price of discipleship. So when we talk about hating mother, father, brother, sister, it's the price of discipleship. And and that's what um, the author Bonhoeffer talked about. It's the I'm sorry, it's the cost of discipleship. Uh, But that's what he wants. He wants us. The fact is, for us as human beings, there is a cost of discipleship. We have to give up ourselves and put others first. And that begins with putting God first, and then that plays out in life as we put others first as well. And so it always is that that upside-down God. Actually, he's (laughs) right-side-up. We're upside down. We're upside down. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you, Pastor Tim. That I, that helped me out a lot. I'm hopefully that people at home too were thinking, ah, oh, you have that aha moment. Okay, that's what it's about. So anyway, thanks, Pastor Tim. We really appreciate it, and uh, look forward to hearing from you next week. Thank you. Have, you a, have great a wonderful week. week. You too. Thank you for joining us. A peace to you from Peace Church in Arvada, Colorado. If you have no church home, we would be delighted for you to join us on any Sunday. Our address is 5675 Field Street in Arvada, Colorado. Our services are at 8 and 10.30 a.m. Bible classes for all ages are at 9.15 a.m. You can easily access our sermons online at www.peacelutheran.net or at peacearvada at youtube.com. Peace to you, in part, is a listener-supported broadcast. If you would like to sponsor a broadcast in the future, call us at 303-424-4454. If you would like a copy of today's broadcast at no charge to you, contact us at the same number, 303-424-4454. You can access our sermons at any time by going to our YouTube channel, Peace Arvada, YouTube. 
Now, from the entire broadcast team at Peace Lutheran Church in Arvada, I am Reuben Hollenbeck, and may the peace of our Lord be with you today and always. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.